My name is Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach program planning and evaluation for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. I offer lessons from our course reading to help you build strong knowledge and skill in order for you to be a successful program planner and evaluator. In this episode, we talk about implementing needs assessments. Where do we start? Where do we end up? Um, So go ahead and grab your Macaulay article, Methods for Conducting an Educational Needs Assessment, and then also grab the Sangamon County Community Resources Needs Assessment and Community Action Plan. We'll look at both in this episode. Let's get started. I often receive calls from community members, or sometimes when I meet with new students um, who have just joined our program, I often hear the phrase, I'd like to start a a nonprofit. What can I do to get started? And my first piece of advice always is to do a needs assessment. So there's a multi-step process for different types of needs assessments. And so the step-by-step process you might want to do when you're thinking about starting a nonprofit would be let's look in the community for need. Uh, How many nonprofits in my community or public agencies do what it is that I want to do? And what what is the value of their service? Does it meet the specific uh, plan or purpose that I'm trying to meet or is it something different? And then you can look at your demographic information and community indicators in your local community to identify the need. How many people in my community need this? Sometimes people have seen a really cool program and on a trip somewhere, and they said, this was awesome. I wanna do this in my town. So you can look at community indicators, you can look at your census and see how large of a demand there would be in the community. And then you can talk to the existing nonprofits or existing public agencies or businesses and say, you know, I'm interested in doing this. I see that you do something similar Um, why do you not fill this specific gap? Or um, would you like to work together on filling this this gap? But really the whole idea of this conversation is to identify, is this truly a need in my community? And then after you've done your due diligence there to see what other folks are already doing, then you can begin to talk to the community. Go to churches, go talk to individuals who might benefit from your program and ask what's worked in the past in the community and what hasn't. Um, You could conduct a survey, do interviews or focus groups. But the biggest piece of advice I offer to someone wanting to start a nonprofit is to first do a needs assessment. A needs assessment is a systematic approach to studying the state of knowledge, ability, interest, or attitude of a defined audience or group involving a particular subject. So a needs assessment is conducted so the target audience can verify its own level of knowledge and skill, its interests, its opinions, or its learning habits and preferences. Collecting and analyzing needs assessment data allows the investigator to describe the gap between what exists and what is needed. Filling this gap becomes a purpose of the next generation of services and programming. You can conduct a direct needs assessment or an indirect needs assessment. 
what you'll see in the Community Action Agency Action Plan is a direct needs assessment. They have a goal to collect information about the people they serve, and they do so in multiple levels. They talk to the people that they're serving. They talk to key informants, um, like local church leaders and local city leaders. And then they look at community indicators. They look at crime reports. They go to the census and see who's living in their community. So they look at information that's gathered from other folks and they gather primary data as well through the form of surveys, focus groups, interviews. Uh, we might see organizations also conduct indirect needs assessments. These really can happen at any time. If we're thinking about starting a, programming, a program or changing our program, we might stop and talk to those around us. Maybe we have an advisory council that comes in and tells us this is what the community needs. Um, or maybe we just talk to folks around the community, talk to the people that we're serving on a day-to-day -day basis to ask them, how are our services working for you? What could we do better? What could we do differently? Or what should we keep doing that's going great? So both direct needs assessment and indirect needs assessment are important. A direct needs assessment is one that's systematic in approach. This is one that we plan ahead of time. We gather the information that we determined in the planning process, and then we spend time analyzing that data and producing it in a report form for those stakeholders involved in our program, whether those stakeholders are our staff and our volunteers, maybe our funders, and the people that we serve. So first, you're going to write your objectives. What is it that I want to know in this needs assessment? Then you choose your audience. Who am I collecting this information for? Is it for a grant application, for a funder? Um, is it for the city council? If they're asking what it is that we're doing and how we're filling community needs. Um, maybe the audience is the people that we serve. And then you collect your data. It can be primary data or secondary data. You select your audience sample. Are you going to talk to everybody that you serve or a sample of those? If you have a very large service population um, or if you want to collect community-wide data, then you're going to have some sort of sample. And then you pick your instrument. What's the best way to gather this information? Is it talking to people face-to-face? -face? Is it surveying a broad um, part of our community? Is it focus groups where we can get people in the room and talking? Sometimes when you bring people in the same room together to talk about the needs in the community or their individual needs, you get people thinking outside the box or maybe remembering things they may not have remembered in a one-on-one -on -one interview. Once you have collected all of your data, you then analyze your data. How will you make sense of this? So here you can bring in a researcher to do it for you, or if you have the skills, uh, you can do it yourself. And then you want to report out. You want to take this information and share it with uh, the people that you know, are on a need-to-know basis. Is it your funder? Is it your, your community members? And then you take this information and use it to develop your program, to augment your program, um, to create whatever change that you intended 
or if you're finding your needs assessment that you're doing great, then you just keep moving on with your program. The Macaulay article on designing needs assessments offers us four types of data collection methods, surveys, interviews, focus groups, and working groups. Each type of data collection can benefit us um, in different ways. Surveys can tell us, um, people can identify if they have a specific need, if they've received certain types of programming. It can tell us demographic information. It can tell us, we can get a range of um, how likely they agree with this particular need or this particular issue. We can have them report on behaviors. Um, interviews are wonderful because they allow us to really get into um, a conversation and really dig deep into individuals' needs, um, their perceptions, their requests for services. And focus groups are great because it gets people talking. A working group can dig even deeper um, to generate ideas from other communities of what might work here um, and do some comparison work between populations. Now, with surveys, we'll be able to gather information from a much broader audience. We can distribute them by phone, in person, electronically. Um, there's a, a way that we can reach you know, a very large population when we conduct surveys. With interviews, these take more time. So you're gonna to talk to fewer people um, or you're going to have a, lot, a large team working to collect as many interviews. But more likely, you're going to conduct fewer. The trade-off between surveys and interviews is that the interviews are going to have richer data. Same thing with focus groups. You're going to have fewer focus groups, but you'll be able to do more. One of the trade-offs with interviews and focus groups is with interviews, you can get a little more personal and intimate, whereas with a focus group or the group of people, people may not share as much of their personal experience um, as they might in an interview. So there are trade-offs between each of these. There are two types of ways to get information from key informants that can help build or identify the needs and build a program. Um, one is working groups. The other is the nominal group technique. I was part of a working group to address the needs of uh, older women who had experienced domestic violence. I was in this group when I was in my 20s, so I was not a representative member of this group. But what we knew about domestic violence in older women was that often the victims were isolated and unable to talk to others or seek help. Um, and even if they were, um, we knew that very likely because of the, the generation they were from, they wouldn't talk. So there was a working group of folks from all over the country um, people from various states, various public agencies, national organizations, local organizations, people from uh, local tribal government. They came to the, together and we met uh, once in Pittsburgh, once in D.C., and then a third time, I think, in D.C. And we spent a couple days together in a room. There was about 20 of us. And we identified what are the needs of this population? What are what is working? What are we doing? And what are the gaps? The host of this working group was the Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women. And as a result of this working group, they created um, a grant program to fund 
programs uh, around the country to address this need. And so the program, the funding program was designed around the results of this working group. I was also a part of a nominal group technique, uh, which was really fun. It was at a conference for youth mentorship. It was in Springfield, Illinois. And there was about a hundred of us. And so we're, we were all in the room learning about mentoring youth and what works, what doesn't work. And it was, you know, conference style, uh, much like you know, provide the lecture, we listen and we learn. And then at the end of the conference, we used, or the organizers used the nominal group technique to gather information from us to conduct a needs assessment with key stakeholders in the room. So there were people from the university, people from the YMCA, people from the city council, big brothers, big sisters, boys and girls club. It was all the people in the room that even remotely were related somehow to youth mentoring. There was religious groups, there were um, criminal justice groups, there was tons of people in the room. There was about a hundred of us and what they did is they scattered us around the room and gave us some large flip chart paper. And we started with questions. What is it that we want to see in the community around youth mentoring? What are our goals? What will it achieve? And then the next step, we worked on what are the resources that we have on hand? Um, and then another question was, what are the resources that we need? And then we worked backwards again and said, you know, how, how can we generate these resources? How can we do this? Um, but it was a step-by-step -step process where they gathered information from us had it uh, gathered on these flip, large flip chart papers that they were able to take with them and then assemble the information in a way that was um, that made sense. They put together all of this information from 100 people. The great thing about it was, is we were working in groups of four or five, so we really got to talk through the problem and then put the information on paper. At the end, um, the hosts of the conference took all this information and presented it in a report to everyone who had attended. So though we were individually one in a hundred people in the room, we got a report at the end that got, gave us all the information that all 100 individuals there had contributed to. They boiled it down to identify specifically what the needs in Springfield, Illinois were uh, for youth mentoring. So these two approaches, the working group and the nominal group technique are both very useful. And they're useful in different ways and in different circumstances. This working group, we worked for months over time and generated, there was a project at hand that they wanted to produce, the Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women. The nominal group technique, they had about an hour, hour and a half to collect the information from a hundred people. And so the two styles and approaches were different, um, but both very valuable, giving the context and the needs and the key informants that they had in the room. So you have all this great data. What do you do with it now? Well, first you need to deal with data management. If you look at the example of the Sangamon County Community Resource Center's um, action plan, you'll see they had a ton of data. They had surveys, interviews, community indicators, census data, they had all sorts of data. So you have to deal with data management. So you need to save your interviews, transcribe them, um, and store them together in a secure confidential location. Grab your survey data. If you had paper surveys, you need to assemble that um, in some sort of analysis software, whether it's Excel or SPSS or something else. Build your data set with your survey data. 
uh, with your um, community indicator and census data, you want to bring all that information together and store it in tables that are easily comparable to each other or align with each other. So make sure that you have the same information. Um, if you're looking at, say, demographics, uh, the populations related to crime data or poverty data, and the ages are different across the different resource tools. For instance, um, I've seen where the age spread collected for crime data might be teenagers, people in their 20s, people in their 30s, and then the poverty data may be broken down differently. People ages 25 to 35, and then um, 35 to 50. And so if you're comparing, you know, looking for the needs of people in their 20s, you're gonna to have to look at these two pieces of data differently. So do what you can to create tables that make the data um, similar and comparable across all of the different community indicators that you use. And so you'll assemble all of that data so you've got something to look at and something to analyze, and then you begin um, your analysis. So you wanna look at what is it that your target population needs? And is there a population in the community that you're not serving that you want to serve? And how might their needs be different? So that data might be in your focus group information, your survey data, or maybe those folks didn't participate in your um, primary data collection. And by laying out all of your data and organizing it um, and really focusing on data management before you get to the analysis, you might see that. You might see the gaps in the people that you're hearing from. Um, some of your key informants um, might be missing. So you may need to go back out and collect more information. So bring the data together. Um, look, answer your specific questions that you laid out in the beginning, see if there's any gaps in the data that you collected, and you may have to go do a second round of data collection. An example of an organization that consistently does well on needs assessments are the community action agencies around the United States. The community action agencies are organizations that are sometimes public or government run and sometimes nonprofit. They're funded through uh, the 1964 Economic Opportunity Act um, and the Community Development Block Grants. Every several years, they must conduct a needs assessment um, and create an action plan for services. Their role is to ameliorate the, and mitigate the effects of poverty in communities around the United States. There are over a thousand of them. You're going to read this week uh, one of their action plans, and I wanted to give you a little breakdown of what exactly they're doing. So every several years, they create this action plan that one looks at what the community needs and then looks at their programming and decides how they can adapt their programming to those needs. And then finally, they link these needs to the intended outcomes defined by the Community Development Block Grant. These programs include Head Start, Meals on Wheels, Low Income Home Energy Assistance, and Weatherization Assistance programs. The idea is to address the needs of those living in poverty and do what they can do to help them maybe spend less money on energy. Um, have access to education for their uh, for their young children. 
And Meals on Wheels helps get food into the homes of the elderly and those listening with, living with disabilities, those that can't get out um, and get either cook full meals or get access to maybe the grocery stores and things like that. And so the community action agencies, every several years, they conduct surveys, focus groups, they look at the census, they look at crime reports, education reports, and they find out who's living in their county or the counties that they serve and what those broader needs are. So you'll find in your report, this is one example of the many that are done all over the country. Um, and this one is a great example of the, the type of needs assessment that they conduct. So what you should be able to do in looking at this document is read the needs assessment. And then the middle section is their plan of action, what programs are going to offer and who the targeted populations are. So you should be able to see the services that they're offering align with the needs that they identified in their communities. And they do this regularly because needs change and evolve as people move from county to county, as new employers come in, as new schools are built, um, or as disasters happen and unemployment rates skyrocket, the needs of the communities change and the resources in the communities change and evolve. So the needs assessments need to be done regularly. So then you look at the middle part of the report that has the plan of action, the, the activities the organization is going to do. And then you look at the final section that is about the outcomes. Now, these outcomes are defined at the federal level. There's a long list of outcomes defined by the Community Development Block Grant. And so each community action agency chooses some of those outcomes that relate to their community and they choose those based on the needs assessment. Let's spend some time preparing for your exam. I'll ask you a couple of exam questions and tell you where to find the answer. Pause a podcast after each question and locate the answer. Then play the podcast to hear the answer. Which type of sample design can address underrepresentativeness to ensure information from smaller subpopulations are not minimized by overrepresented subpopulations? Review the probability sampling designs in your textbook on page 37 to 39 to find the best answer. Pause this episode and answer the question. The best answer is a stratified random sample. You can find the definitions of various sample types on page 39 in your textbook. Here's your next question. The city council is building a bullying prevention program and the district's park program. The city council surveys local principals about the presence of bullying within their schools. Which type of stakeholder group do principals represent in this case? Review pages 41 to 51 in your textbook to locate the answer. The answer is key informants. Did you get it right? Our key informants are different than our population in need or our population at risk. Our key informants can help us identify our population in need and our population at risk. In this case, principals would be most helpful in identifying our population at risk because city programs will more likely work with communities rather than individuals who have already experienced specific problems. 
This episode focused on needs assessment. What are needs assessments? How do we conduct needs assessments? What do we do with the data? Um, if you have questions about this material, post a message on the app or on the Anchor website, and um, maybe I'll answer those in the exam review podcast. It sounds like my cat has a question. I better go.